Hebrews 11, or read part of it uh, for this Sunday. And uh, after prayer and consultation, I think the decision was made, obviously, to read the whole thing. It's long. I know it's long, but you know, where do you stop? That was the question. It's all, it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful chapter, and even though it's long, it's one that just you've got to flow through the whole history of redemption and, and the whole history of men and women of faith and, and the, the great conclusion. That come. Anyway, I'm glad, I'm glad we read the whole thing. If you take your Bibles, and if they're already in Hebrews, stay there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Obviously, it's a Holy Spirit work when we preaching in the same chapter you're reading from. That doesn't happen real often. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And Father, having listened to the words of uh, Abel speak, we pray you would open our hearts to hear his words, and Lord, that you might use those to invigorate in each of our heart a living, persevering faith. One, Lord, that will carry us all the way to your presence in that last day. Lord, take your word and enliven it, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Probably one of the most moving spiritual places I think I've ever attended or been to is a little graveyard in central London called Bunhill Fields. Uh, the first time Mary and I went there, we were kind of strolling through the cemetery, and uh, one of the workers there, a city worker from the city of London, came up and says, probably saw that we were uh, tourists, uh, he says, are you here to see the graves of the protesters? And I, I really kind of understood what he meant. Uh, he, see, this is a graveyard where you find the great dissenters. This is the burial place of those who who did not follow the unbiblical worship of the Anglican Church. These are the ones that were called the nonconformists. These were the Protestants. These are the ones that were the Puritans. And because of their convictions, they were not buried, as, as many were, in the, in the courtyard of, of, of the church. They went outside in the city, and they had this common graveyard where all these Puritans were buried. Puritans had opposed the non-biblical practices of the Anglican Church. Now, the, the cemetery is not that big. It's only four acres, so it doesn't take long to stroll, stroll through the cemetery. But what you find, if you ever go there, is a great cloud of witnesses. Great cloud of witnesses that you can almost hear from the gravestone crying out the truth of the gospel, the truth of faith, and the truth Lord, that, that, that all of us love and cherish by way of sound theology. Not only do you hear the men of faith, you also hear the men who penned some of the hymns that we consider so, so beautiful and a part of our worship today. today. So this was the resting place of some of the great 
guys of the faith. Now, there's women as well there. But these are the great dead guys. And, and if you're Reformed at all, and you have an interest in Reformed theology, you love the dead guys. You want the dead guys to speak to you, because the dead guys have a lot to say. And this, not only do they, is it filled with dead guys, these are dead guys that have spoken, and even though they're dead, they're still speaking. So you stroll through the cemetery, and you look down, and you see a headstone for John Bunyan. Died 1688. And though he's dead, yet he speaks. So you pick up a copy of Pilgrim's Progress, and there his words are, living on down to the 21st century. A little farther, you'll come across the gravestone of Isaac Watts. Died 1748. And even though he's dead, yet he speaks. And we sing his hymns regularly here at church as part of our, of our worship. Toward the front is Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley. And how many of you young ladies or couples got, got uh, parenting tips from some of her writing? Even though she was dead, yet she speaks. John Owen. Anybody know John Owen? A couple of you do. I mean, you got to know John Owen. Great Puritan theologian, died 1683. Uh, though he's dead, yet he speaks. You can come to my office. I got a 16 volume set. He's speaking every day on the shelves in my, in my library. Thomas Goodwin, another Puritan. I have a five volume set of, of his sermons. And he also wrote a book called The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth. And so though he be dead, yet he speaks. And there's dozens and dozens and dozens of other great pastors that are there. And though they're dead, yet they, they still speak through, through the words they preached and wrote. So there you're going to find in, in Bunhill Fields uh, those men who, who really pen some of the great biblical truths that we, we love today. And you won't find them anywhere outside of Scripture, some of these deep biblical truths. J.I. Packer writes, he says, once, I once wrote about his appreciation for the Puritans. They have taught me to see and feel the transitoriness of this life. To think of it with all of its riches as essentially the gymnasium and the dressing room where we're being prepared for heaven and regard readiness to die as the first step in learning to live. And so he realized how much he drew from the, the rich truths of these Puritans. If you came to me or probably Kyle and asked for a, a recommendation of a book you want to read on some particular subject matter, uh, it could well be that we'd respond by handing you or recommending that you go read a book about a dead guy who's dead and yet still he speaks. Can't tell, how many, tell you how many people I've recommended Holiness by, by J.C. Ryle. Though he be dead, yet he speaks. And I have to admit to you, I have learned more from the theology of these dead guys that are in the grave, that are dead, that have gone before us, than I think I would ever, ever experience or learn from a skinny jeans hipster preacher behind a plexiglass podium. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to the old guys. And because I know that I'm going to find truth there as well. As I was writing this sermon, I had to go to some of the books in my library to prepare this message. 
And don't be surprised that I'm going to, I pick some of the books with, from dead guys. Dead guys that still speak about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. You're going to hear from this sermon. You're going to hear, you're going to hear from William Googe. You're going to hear from John Calvin. You're going to hear from Charles Spurgeon. You're going to hear from John Owen, all coming out of the pages of this sermon I'm about ready to preach because I, I, I just drew heavily, heavily from the well of truth that these men have written. And so today we come to the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. We come to a real dead guy. This guy's deader than the ones that have gone before that I've just mentioned because he goes all the way back to he's the fourth man that ever lived. That's pretty far back. So I invite you to look at your scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. As we listen to a message, listen to a message preached by a dead guy uh, by the name of Abel. And though he, he be dead, yet he preaches. You know, his name is a, an interesting name. It's, it's hard to understand what the meaning is intended by his family who gave him the name. But it can mean breath. It can mean weakness, but most see that it can mean vanity and seeing vanity in everything outside of God. So listen with me, if you would, to going way back to Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to be reading about words from a dead guy that are resonating loudly in the 21st century here in Cody, Wyoming. Now, as you gaze down at verse 4 in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So listen carefully to what he has to say. Uh, He's the first of the great cloud of witnesses that's mentioned in Hebrews 11 that we just heard. And so you're going to hear a message about worship in this verse. A message about salvation in this verse. A message to encourage you as believers in Christ. A message that by God's grace will fuel your heart and energize you from within, that your your faith would be a persevering faith that will carry you all the way to the very end when you see Christ face to face. You don't want to falter in unbelief. You don't want to start off with a with a shallow faith and oh yeah, I trusted in Christ, seven years old, and then somehow let it fizzle out like a skyrocket in in, in your middle years or later in life. The faith that truly saves that we're going to see in this chapter is a persevering faith. It's a faith in the midst of opposition and death and pain and suffering. And this is the faith that we're, we're being drawn to here in this 11th chapter. And so it's like he's saying to us, uh, Abel, don't give up. Persevere in this faith. And for all who are justified by faith, continue in your faith unto sanctification and to the day of final glorification. And as elders of the church, this is an important passage to us as well. Because what this passage does, it should be a reminder that our role here is to equip you, to equip ourselves as a church family to persevere in your faith. I mean, when you think of the awesome charge as a pastor, that you're, you're in charge with souls of God's people. And your ministry is to make sure that by God's grace, they safely make it all the way to the end and see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. That's our heart and that's our ministry here at Redeeming Grace Church. 
Now, it's interesting because it's a very short verse. I mean, a lot of truth we're going to pull from just verse 4. By faith, Abel offered up a, to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain did, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through the, his faith, though he, he died, he still speaks. I want to see three points on, in this one verse, help, you, help us all to see how Abel's faith led to three things. Number one, Abel's faith led to an acceptable sacrifice. Secondly, Abel's faith led to be accounted as righteous. And thirdly, a lasting witness. We're going to see his faith led to a lasting witness. And we just read through this, so I don't have to echo it again, but by faith. Did you see how many times by faith appears in chapter 11 as Dave read through the the, the chapter? I mean, this is like the refrain that's over and over and over and over again to make sure we don't miss the point. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. And it goes on and on and on. By faith. I mean, they all had one thing in common. They all had faith. And they had another thing in common. It was a working faith. It wasn't a faith that just kind of was in their, their mind and their belief system. And yeah, I believe in God. This was a faith that worked its way out with hands and feet and with lips. Every one of these mentions of, of faith, they did something. As a fruit of their faith. Faith found in each person of Hebrews 11 is, is worked out in action. And James tells us this in James 2, so that faith by itself does not have, that does not have works is dead. It's a dead faith. And so this is a faith that re- results in right actions. This is a faith that wor- works its way out into right offerings and right worship. And so here we see Abel's faith. Result was offered a more acceptable sacrifice. Now, what does that mean, more acceptable sacrifice? How was Abel's sacrifice to God more acceptable, we're going to see, than Cain's was? What's the difference? Now, I'm going to encourage you to turn back to Genesis chapter 4, the first eight verses, because that's where the backstory is. We have, the one, we have the one verse in Hebrews 11.4, but to understand Hebrews 11.4, we got to go back to the story that Hebrews 11.4 is summarizing for us and go back to Genesis 4 instead of Hebrews 11. And there we find... Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. Code words, they were intimate with one another, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, I don't know, I haven't seen all the translations, but if your translation has with the help of in italics, that means that was added for understanding. If you took it literally in the Hebrew, I have gotten a man, the Lord. Now, that's caused a lot of people. I wonder why she said that. Why does Genesis 4 say that? And it well could be that... Uh, Perhaps uh, Eve was wrongly 
thought that her offspring would be a fulfillment of the promise that was made to her, that through her seed, Satan himself would be defeated, and, and that his head would be, would, 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 the head of Satan would be defeated. And this is the answer to that promise of God. I don't know about that. All I know is this. She goes, it goes on to say, and again, she bore a brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, the cane, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, perhaps this could be referring to the Sabbath or a scheduled time by God where his people gathered to worship him. Uh, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So that was the good offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and did what? Killed him. He killed him. He killed his brother. So we have to ask ourselves, what is this most acceptable offering that Abel offered that Cain didn't? What, what made it acceptable before God? Well, we see in the first two words, well, first of all, let me say this. There, there's, there's at least two views of what this means. I see at least three views that this means, could mean. I want to share with you each view. For example, the first view is this. It comes from the first two words of verse 4. By faith, this sacrifice was offered. And so by faith, this, this is an offering that was motivated by faith. And so the first view is that why, why, the reason why it was acceptable is because he was operating from the arena of, of saving faith. He was a believer in Christ, where Cain was not. And so it, came, it issued forth from, from faith. In other words, he wasn't a special offering in and of itself that made it acceptable. It wasn't that one was a, was a lamb, let's say, and the other was a, was a turnip. That's not what made it more or less acceptable. It was the heart of the person who offered up the worship themselves, and that would be the heart of faith. What made Abel's sacrifice a better sacrifice, it was bought by, brought by one whose trust was in God in a saving way. Abel was right with God. And the reason why you can see that is because it resulted in him choosing, making decisions that were the best, even the best sacrifice. We're looking at a minute. Calvin held this view that it was the faith, the saving faith, that made it acceptable. Calvin writes the sacrifice of Abel was more acceptable than that of his brothers because it was sanctified by faith. Where did his please, pleasing come from other than? He had a heart that was purified by faith. Thus the sacrifices were accepted because uh, God had accepted them. <laughs> so that was the real issue. God had accepted Abel by faith. 
In Cain, he didn't accept his offering because, uh, and therefore, he wasn't accepted by God because he lacked faith. Now, I believe there's truth now. We're going to see this in just a minute. It doesn't matter which view you take, but there is obviously truth in this. This is an important lesson. Whenever we gather to worship as a church, what makes our offering to God, our songs, our prayers, our, our, our expressions of, of love to Him acceptable? What makes your worship acceptable before God? And the answer is not in the songs that you sing, or we sang the wrong song instead of the right song, but really the answer lies in what's the heart of the worshiper? What's the heart of the one who's offering up the worship? Are you believers in Christ? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Those who are saved, those are the ones whom He accepts and hears their worship. That means if you're an unbeliever here today and you, you've come here to, to go through religious exercises, to sing songs, to hear a message, uh, listen to prayers and break bread and go through a ritualistic exercise of the Lord's table, that's all well and good, but it's not acceptable worship to God unless your heart first has been accepted by God in the sense of you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. I mean, how many people today are gathering all around the world going through religious exercises, never trusting in Christ, thinking they're going to leave through the doors, thinking that God's pleased with them because, oh, look at the songs I sang. Look at the prayers I prayed. Oh, I listened to that message all. I didn't even fall asleep this week. I listened to the whole message. I mean, God's really going to be pleased with me this week. And that's wrong. Perhaps that was the heart of, of Cain rather than Abel. It's backwards. You know, if you leave thinking that God's accepted you because of what you, what's happened in here, you missed the boat. You have it wrong. The way you have to properly understand it is what's accepted in here is what you brought through the doors. And what you brought through the doors is a heart that is trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So that's the first view. That's Calvin's view. That is that uh, the reason that the offering was acceptable because there was already existing a heart of faith. The second view has to do with the offering itself. What made it acceptable was it was a blood offering. It was a blood sacrifice. That's what made it acceptable. Uh, in other words, a blood sacrifice was much better than a vegetable sacri sacrifice. In other words, the quality of the sacrifice itself and all that it represented made it acceptable to God. Now, this, is, uh, this was the view of another dead guy by the name of John Owen. Though he dead, he's dead, yet he speaks. And this is what he says. Uh, For his sacrifice was a holocaust, wherein after the blood was shed at the altar and offered unto God, the fat was burned on the altar, and the whole body at, at a distance from it appears. Therefore, that the sacrifice of Abel was, as unto the matter of it, both in itself and in God's esteem, of the most precious and valuable things in the whole creation, subject unto man's and his use. That sounds like John Owen. That's what he writes. You know, but he, you hear his point, right? The point is that uh, it's what it represented that made it acceptable. This is a sacrifice of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is what? No, no remission of sins. 
You can see in the sacrifice that it was a, it was a first firstborn. It was, it was a good lamb. It, you can see that there's fat, and, and you got imagery of what took place at the altar in Leviticus forward. So that's what made it acceptable. In fact, Whitfield, another dead guy who now speaks, uh, has this to say. He says, What were the coats that God made to put on our first parents? The types of the application of the merits of righteousness of Jesus Christ to the believer's hearts. We are told that those coats were made of the skins of beasts, and those beasts were slain in sacrifice. In a commemoration of the great sacrifice, uh, Jesus Christ thereafter to be offered. Being put on Adam and Eve, they were taught how their nakedness was to be covered with the righteousness of the Lamb of God. So that's the second view. Now, the, if this is to be by faith, wouldn't you have to agree with me that somewhere God would have to reveal this to, to uh, Abel and Cain? This is how I want you to worship me. And that, that revelation had to be there. And in faith, believe the Word of God and then respond appropriately. And so where do we go in the Bible to find out anywhere where God told Abel and, and Cain that the, that the reason why I want you to worship me with, with a blood sacrifice is because, and he gives a reason for it. Where do we get it from? Now, again, we've got to go back to the first several chapters of Genesis and what you have are little snapshots, little pictures, little images that, that obviously Cain and Abel were aware of, because Adam and Eve were. And from that they understood that the kind of offering they were to bring would be a blood sacrifice. For example, in Genesis 3.15, God prophesied that a seed was coming through the woman. Remember that? Who would crush Satan. And of course, that, the seed would have to be a man, would be, it would have to be of a man, it would be in a woman. That would be a, a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ who would come later. Uh, a Savior, a Messiah would come and crush Satan on the cross. One of the first, the first prophecy of Christ. So there's a little glimmering there. And then you have Genesis 3.21 where it says, And the Lord God made Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So after the fall, we know Adam and Eve sinned. After the fall, they felt guilty because they were running around naked in the garden. And so they grabbed some fig leaves and took out a needle and they sewed some clothes and put it upon them. And, and God looked down and says, no, wait a minute. Uh, I don't want you to have your clothes. I want you to have the clothes that I provide for you. And so and God apparently killed a couple animals, skinned the animals, took the the fur of the animals, the coats, and covered Adam and Eve with clothes that he provided by his grace. Uh, what a picture of salvation, right? What a picture of the grace of God. You know, yeah, you like to sow your own leaves, cover, cover up your own righteousness, but really what you need is the righteousness of God imputed to you through faith. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Arthur Pink, another dead guy who liked to speak, and he still speaks loudly today. It was the first gospel sermon preached by God. Not in words, but in symbols and actions. It was a setting forth of the way in which a sinful creature could return unto and approach his holy creator. It was a blessed illustration of substitution, the innocent dying, and the stead 
instead of the guilty. And so those might be, those might be the two, two examples that were teaching experiences for Adam and Eve and, and for Cain and Abel to look at and say, okay, I understand. What God wants for me is a blood sacrifice. This is what's going to be acceptable to Him. Because I need to be clothed in the righteousness of God. And so the picture of shedding blood gave an illustration of the lesson that shedding blood alone would be the only acceptable sacrifice that would be offered to God. So Abel, knowing what God demanded, knowing that uh, what was acceptable to God, he offered a blood sacrifice. Cain, knowing what God demanded, chose to offer up his own uh, vegetables before God as a sacrifice. Abel knew he was a sinner. Cain knew he was a sinner. They both bore the corruption of their same father. They had the sin nature and they were sinners by choice. So why was Cain's offering of veggies rejected? I mean, after all, isn't that what he did for a living? Isn't that a proportion of what he did as far as his, his you know, he, he, was a, he was a farmer. Abel was the rancher. Um, what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? Well, we say it didn't involve the shedding of blood. See, it was not according to God's pattern. And so when Abel came to God, bearing the blood substitute, Genesis 4.4, the Lord regarded, regarded Abel and his offering, and he turned away from, from Cain's offering to him. Now there's a third view. So we've got the first view why was his offering acceptable? It came by faith. Remember, he, he, he believed in the Lord, believed in the God Himself and His way of salvation. The second possibility is that the reason why it was acceptable is because of the offering itself was a blood sacrifice. But there's, I, I see a third, a third uh, reason why perhaps Abel's sacrifice was acceptable, and that is because it was a more valuable sacrifice. More valuable in the sense of what it cost him as opposed to Cain. Uh, So this goes to the value of of the offering that's made to God. In Genesis 4-3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the first fruits of the ground. Stops there. We don't know what they're like. We don't know what the quality of them was. We don't know anything about them. They were just the fruits of the ground. Not even the first fruits of the ground, just the fruit of the ground. But then Abel came along, and he offered up the firstborn of his flock. There was something special here. And the fat portions, there was the fatty portions, were, were also made it more valuable. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So the sacrifice, whether veggies or by blood, was not the act of the worshiper. It wasn't the heart of the worshiper, really. Well, it does reflect that, but it isn't because it was from faith. It wasn't because it was a blood. It was because one brought the best and the other brought the second best or maybe third best. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, not the, not the skinny runt. He didn't bring the bum lamb. He brought the best. And the one that was fatted more valued. 
See, this was an expression of his heart and his devotion. His sacrifice was only as valuable as he valued God himself. Because he values God himself, he's going to bring his best to worship. Now, if you just drag in to bring your second best, your third best, or whatever you have. I mean, you ever seen these church uh, rummage sales? We're going to raise money for the missionaries. Bring all your junk. Bring all the stuff you don't want. Bring all the stuff you never used for the last 20 years. Bring your stuff that goes back to the 70s and 80s that nobody wants, not even the second-hand store. And let's have a rummage sale for the missionaries. Well, that's exactly what we're looking at here. In other words, a heart that says, I don't want to bring something that's laying around my house that has no value. I want to bring my best. This is for God. And I cherish God. David realized this in 2 Samuel 24, you know, from a sin of numbering the people in verse 24. It says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. They have to be, uh, this is my God's at stake here. I, I need to bring valuable offerings. And so why was Cain rejected? Well, it wouldn't be because of faith. It wouldn't be because it was not a blood sacrifice. According to this view, it was because he didn't bring the best crops that he had. You know, the crops that are left over after the harvesting for the gleaners. He didn't give those to God. Um, There's no mention anywhere of his best. There's hints of the best for, for Abel. You know, I might give you an illustration. I mean, we go through a lot of bananas in our house. Like every day we have a couple of bananas. And uh, so, you know, you, you know, those of you who've been to the banana section of uh, Albertsons, they usually have them divided into three categories. You got the green ones that aren't ready to eat yet. Then you got those yellow ones that are just ripe and ready and ready to eat. Then you got those wrapped with a red band that are all brown and squishy. Maybe, maybe you can bake, a, bake some bread with that. And that's half price. It was like this view would hold it, you know, well, then if, if, if Cain was a banana grower, he would have taken from the red wrap group. Here, God, take those. Take the brown ones. Where Cain brought the valuable sacrifice. So those are the three views. So, you know, I'm leaving them with you. You're trying to say, okay, which one's right? There's good men, good godly men on all three sides of this. I mean, those who say, no, it's a faith. It's trusting in God. You, you have to be saved before your, your, your sacrifice will be uh, uh, accepted. Well, no, no, it's, it's not the heart. It's not the faith that made it acceptable. It's the blood sacrifice. They say, well, no, no, it's not the blood. It's not that. It, it, it's whatever you bring, you brought your best. Whatever you bring, you brought your best. It's that heart attitude. Now, I don't do this very often, but this is often... No, I, say, I do this pretty often, I guess, confessing. But uh, I couldn't... As I wrestle with these three views, I couldn't get away from the fact that I saw all three elements of these views at play. Not just one or the other. I, I just saw them all working together synergistically. Now, I, I, I know I'm on, on weak grounds when you, when you can't find a, a commentator that agrees with you. This is one of the hermeneutical principles I learned at seminary was called the checking principle. So if you come up with a view, you better check it with someone else because you're not going to be the first one that's come up with this view. 
And I understand that. And I haven't read every commentator that's out there to know if there's anyone else. That, but I'm just sharing with you, you know, caveat, warning. You might come up with a different view yourself. You'd be in good shoes. But bear with me and think how all three of these work together so harmoniously, making a better and more perfect and acceptable sacrifice. I mean, it's, it's a gospel truth that your sacrifice, your acts of worship will not be accepted before God until you first come savingly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you, do you realize that? So that first one we know is true. Um, so that's, that's true. And then secondly... We also know that a blood sacrifice is required to be acceptable. Now, there are grain sacrifices in the Old Testament. You have to factor all that into your viewpoint. But we also know without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And there's a reason why this morning when we come to the Lord's table, we're remembering the blood and the body of Christ every Lord's Day. It's a central part of our sacrifice, our worship to God, making our worship acceptable to Him. And we sing about our Savior. And we sing about His death. We sing about His burial. We sing about His resurrection. We read about it. We pray. And this is essential to our, to our worship. Being accepted before God. And, and lastly, then are we going to bring our second best to God? Is that, is that what we're going to do? I see the third one coming into play too. So that as you come to offer your, your worship, your sacrifices to God, Bring your best. Sunday mornings for your A game of worship. Your A game of singing. Your A game of hearing the Word of God preached. Your A game of praying. You're engaged. Your whole being. The offering plate is not for trinkets and there's a few coins to go in the offering plate. It's to give your best to God. That's so important because... It's so easy to bring our second best, our third best, or our fourth best. And then I'm, I'm wondering if God's really accepting our offering of third best of singing, or not singing at all, or just going through the motions on, on Sunday morning. Not the best. So what I, I see here, and this I'm going to share with you, I think all three are involved in our sacrifices being acceptable before God. And, you know, you can wrestle with, was there one in particular? But I see all three important to our offering of worship being acceptable to God. The second point we saw from this verse 4 is that faith was, of Abel was accounted righteous to him, through which he was commended as righteous. Let me say what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that, that, that Cain offered up a sacrifice God saw a sacrifice, and therefore, because you did your sacrifice, you're righteous. No, this goes back before that. This goes back to trusting in God sal salvifically, or through salvation, trusting in God. And your faith, then, and therefore, you are accounted as righteous, even before you offer up your first expression of worship. Notice it doesn't say here in verse 4 that uh, <clears throat> he obtained righteousness through offering a sacrifice to God. It doesn't say, it does say rather through offering the sacrifice, that became a witness that he was a man of faith, and therefore it had been accounted to him as righteous. 
Faith first, then the sacrifice follows. Faith, faith first, and then you're counted, imputed as righteous, God's righteousness. Verse uh, Romans 4, 3 says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteous. So really we have the first man here on the, that walked on the earth that had the, we see was given an imputed righteousness of Christ. It's mentioned. Uh, in fact, in Matthew 23, Jesus said, uh, from the blood of the righteous Abel. So he was a man who had been declared righteous. Now here's an interesting question. I don't have the answer, but see if you can kind of wrestle with this. Okay. Abel's sacrifice was acceptable, right? Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable for whatever reason. One of the three that we talked about. How did Abel know that his sacrifice was accepted? And how did Cain know that his sacrifice was rejected? He obviously knew. And, and the Bible doesn't tell us. I mean, was there a lightning bolt that came down and consumed their offering? And boy, God was excited with yours, and, and Cain got no lightning bolt? And I don't see that in Scripture. Was some angelic being coming there and saying, by the way, Cain, God really loves your sacrifice. He doesn't like your brothers. Or did you know, an angel come to Cain and say, hey, you missed the boat on this one. It's clear enough they both knew. However they knew, Cain knew. Um, Cain was angry when he heard the news from God. He was fueled by pride. He knew that God had not received his offering, but he did receive his brother's offering. And so how did God respond to Cain's offering? To his anger? To his countenance? Verse 4, going back to Genesis 4. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. He was having a pity party at this point. He was really upset. Pride hurts. But I just love the way God responds to his, his response. I mean, God corrects him. He's coming down hard on him. But notice he's a God who's long-suffering in here, and how patient God is with us, and how he even warns us in the face of sin. I know, for example, he says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will not be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. So, hey, you got another chance. Here's a warning. Come with a right heart, with a right worship. And how do you respond to God's correction? He went on and killed his brother. So what's Abel telling us here? Uh, Well, I think Abel's telling us God does not accept all worship brought in his name. That's important for us to realize. Just because you go through worship and you bring acts of worship doesn't mean it's acceptable to God. I mean, take Cain. Cain went to the right place at the right time to worship the right God. He wasn't an atheist. But his his offering was not accepted. It was rejected. 
And so he warns, you know, through being a long-suffering God, and he reminds, he reminds Cain of Proverbs 15.8 that says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. So those of you with Christ, I mean, this great encouragement there. God's hearing us. He's responding. But those of you without Christ, there's a great warning here that comes to you by way of Proverbs 15 that, that He doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked. He doesn't hear the songs of the wicked. He rejects the worship of the wicked. So let's apply that to our worship this morning. A worship this morning without conversion is not acceptable to God. A worship that is your way instead of God's way is not acceptable to God. Remember, he said, come with a blood sacrifice. Cain came with his own way of wanting to worship God. Well, I want to sing the way I want to sing, God. I want to sing my music. I want to say, I want to worship you my way, God. If I don't get it my way, I'm going to go somewhere where I can get it my way. That's Cain. That's Cain's heart of worship. You know, we hold to, and it's in our confession, the, re- the regular principle of worship, which is we have come to worship God the way He has prescribed for us to worship Him. We put aside our way, and we want to bring our best worshiping God His way. And you go through our confession, you find out that His way involves singing, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. His way involves praying. His way involves Scripture reading. His way involves the preached Word of God. His way involves uh, in some expression on the first day of the week they came and gave offerings to God. I mean, these are various expressions of worship that He's prescribed for us as believers. And of course, the ordinance is breaking of bread. Why do we break bread? Because God wills that we break bread. He's prescribed for us to break bread. And we want to come with full hearts of faith, doing it His way with a full heart. Now there's a last point here I want to quickly go over, and that is, I want to go over the, uh, the lasting legacy or the lasting witness that comes from a life of faith. I mean, why is it included in this verse? And through His faith... Though he died, he still speaks. Why is that there? You know, the faith of Abel is heard in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 4. The faith of Abel speaks to us in Hebrews chapter 11. The faith of Abel is spoken of by our Lord calling him a a righteous man of faith. And so though he's dead, and he's been dead a long time, he's the first man to die. Though, though, Though he be dead, yet he what? He speaks to us today. And this is what pleases God. Hebrews 6 says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the same assurance of hope until the end, so you may be not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promise. And so we want to be imitators of men like Abel in his life of faith. The uh, 
Somehow, those of you who are here today in Christ, whose life is exemplified by a continuing persevering faith, are building up a legacy that's going to be heard by others after you're gone. I believe that. Uh, how that is, I, you know, I, I don't know. I know in my own life, uh, I look back, I see, for example, a hymn by another dead guy who uh, still speaks, Isaac Watts, who reminds us in, in that hymn that uh, the young men of God, are, their lives are like a rolling stream passing by and you're going to soon forget them. That's a paraphrase. We're here for a short time and we're forgotten. But I've, that's a haunting, by the way. Verse 4 of that hymn is very haunting. But that's not entirely true. Because not all of, of God's people are forgotten after they pass from this life. Um, you have a legacy. Presidents want to have their legacy, you know, so when they're, I want to be remembered after I'm gone. I want a good legacy. One of the legacies that you can have in your Christian life that's going to be an ongoing living legacy is your life of faith. Now, I don't think it's going to be a long legacy unless you write some famous book like the guys in Bunhill Fields. It might be a legacy that's only remembered by your children. It might be a legacy that's only remembered maybe by, at the very best, your grandchildren. But by the time your great-grandchildren come, you are gone. It doesn't matter what you did in your Christian life, you are forgotten. And so I look back in my life. You know, I was raised by non-Christian parents. Uh, part of my testimony is that my stepfather, who raised me, was saved after I left home and after I went to, to uh, college. And I, I look back, he raised me from the age of about seven all the way through 18. And I was thinking about how many things do I remember about what he thought, what he taught, what he communicated to me in the growing up stages of my life. And I'll have to tell you, maybe five things, like, I mean, not many. They're there, obviously, because it, it has a way of framing and, and, and making you into the image that you are. But there's two things that I remember about his life and his testimony that uh, are lasting. And they both have to do with the expression of his faith in his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All the other stuff he taught me throughout my life, I just kind of forgot. But there were two acts in his life of faith that have stuck with me, have resonated with me, has resonated with my children. If you ask them, they'll tell you the same story. Lord willing, it's, it's going to go down to my grandchildren. But I, I don't have any hopes of thinking much beyond that. It'll all be forgotten. But there is a legacy that's having a, a strengthening effect on those who have come after. You know, I've, I just want to share briefly one, one of the stories. Mary and I were brand new Christians. They're living down in southern Texas. Uh, we're, they're living in a trailer home and... My dad says, well, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to be a, I want a Christian radio station here in the Rio Grande Valley. I said, okay. 
Well, I applied for the station in faith. I got sent the application to the FCC. Good. And uh, he said, you know, this is the laws of the rules have changed since then. But in those days, to get your license approved with the FCC, you had to have, demonstrate you had the resources to build the station. So you had to have $100,000 in the bank to show to the FCC. Well, I said, well, Dad, where, where do you have $100,000? I don't have a dime to my name. But I believe God wants me to build a radio station for this valley, and I'm going to trust him to do that. And so, you know, a year or two went by, and he went down the lumber yard, made friends with the guys down there, and told him what, it, what his vision was, what God was, going to, he was trusting God for. And they said, well, Doc, here, let me help you. How, you need a building? I'm going to drop the lumber off on your, on your property. And all the fix, anything you need, we're going, to, we're going to build the building. So all the supplies for the building came in free. And he took every one of those supplies and built this building. It looked like a barn. It was two-story. And that was his radio station. But there was no radio station. There was no $100,000. But he was in faith, taking steps, trusting God, believing in God. And so one day, remember, they're on like five acres next to another five acres, a trailer next to another trailer way over the fence. That's way out in the country. My stepdad's outside. And the neighbor comes up to the fence, who, by the way, is an unbeliever. And he says, Doc, you look kind of down today. What's going on? Are you okay? And he was. He was feeling a little despondent over this very issue of trusting God. And I've got this building, but I don't have a radio station. I've sent in the license, but I have no, no way of getting it approved without it. And he says, well, what do you need? Well, I need $100,000 in the bank. And this is an unbelieving neighbor. So wait, wait here. So the unbelieving neighbor leaves the fence, goes into his trailer, and comes out with a bag. And this is true. He came out with a bag of $100,000 in cash. And he said, Doc, I've been wanting to help you at some time. And I, I didn't know when, this fell in need to help you. But he said, I didn't know when that time came. But this is obviously the time I don't know where he got the money from. But anyway, it was cash. And long story short, the radio station was built. It was there for many years. Um, and that allowed for another radio station to be built here in Cody many years later. But my, my, my stepfather trusted God for great and mighty things. And, you know... He say, "Well, was he, did he have any promise by God to do that?" No, but it, he did have a sense in which this was God's will for his life, and until God showed otherwise, he was going to take steps of faith in that direction. And then we see the wonderful blessing that, that God brought. So, as we close today, um, we've come to get, to bring our worship to God. Hopefully, our worship is acceptable to Him so far, and for the rest of the service. I hope your, your worship is acceptable. I know it's only going to be acceptable for those of you who are in Christ. You've never come to Christ. I would invite you and call you to come to the Savior whose sacrificial death has shed blood is the only pain that's ever going to be sufficient for you to have your sins forgiven and for you to be clothed in the very righteousness of Christ and have right standing with God. 
And so I would plead with anyone here without Christ to come to the Savior today, young person, older person, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And for the rest of us who have come today to offer up our sacrifice of worship to God, we come in faith, we come believing, but we also come bringing the right sacrifice that He's prescribed for us in Scripture. And may it be the best sacrifice that comes from our heart. And may it bring a lasting legacy to those around us that we love and care for. So Father, we close, uh, closing in prayer, thanking You, Lord, for Your Word. Um, there is no sacrifice we could offer that would ever be sufficient to pay for the sacrifice that You offered on our behalf of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are grateful. But Father, I pray You would energize us today, energize and invigorate our singing may come from redeemed hearts that want to please you with our best. Oh, Father, when we sing uh, the closing hymn, may that hymn be filled with joy and praise and thanksgiving. And may it just be come forth, Lord, gushing forth with a heart full of faith and praise to you. Oh, Father, we, we thank you that you have brought a warning through, through Cain. We pray, Lord, that if we're falling short, we would heed Your call, Your long-suffering call to repent. But Lord, we, until then, we just thank You for Your Word speaking to us through dead men. We praise You in Christ's name. Amen.